Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Academic Life Podcast Series. I'm series co-creator and co-host, Dr. Dana Malone, and the Academic Life co-creator and co-host is here with me. Welcome, Dr. Christina Gessler. Thank you. Christina, will you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. um, So I have a PhD in American history, but it's really in women's and gender and minority studies. So when people um, try to engage me in American history conversations, I tend to be a bit slower. But when they talk about anything to do with women or gender or minorities, I'm I'm all over that conversation. That's really my passion. And I'm also a host on New Books Network uh, Gender Channel, which is where I started here at New Books Network. Um, And now I'm working with you on the Academic Life podcast series, which I'm super excited about. Um, I'm also working on a book about um, American girlhood. I was an adjunct professor for quite a while, but due to the pandemic, I'm really pausing that. And instead, I've been teaching webinars, and I'm excited about one that's coming up about um, the functions of diary keeping. Um, And diary keeping was really the underpinning of what I studied in graduate school. I read uh, women's diaries, but I tell people that not in a creepy way. I didn't like go through people's drawers and try to find their diaries. I went to an archive and did it properly and read um, diaries that have been donated specifically to be part of research purposes. I'm also a photographer and a poet, so um, in every given week or month, I'm juggling gallery openings and deadlines for getting poems to journals, um, and um, a lot of what I studied at graduate school, um, the sort of the containers to do our work in, to present it in, and the theories, binaries, ended up feeling fairly masculine to me, and trying to insert my work into that sometimes felt too restrictive. So I really enjoy using my poetry as a form of nonfiction expression and my photography as a way of capturing historical information that still exists and recording it before it disappears, specifically old farms that are falling apart. And I enjoy podcasting and also the more traditional forms of nonfiction writing, which all together um, for me, are interdisciplinary expressions of knowledge. So that's a bit about me. Can you tell the listeners about you, Dana? Sure, sure. Um, so currently, I'm an independent scholar, and I kind of like to unpack that a little bit for people about because there's um, lots of different ways to be an independent scholar. Um, so the way I kind of explain that to people um, is to say, you know, I do a variety of things related to higher ed. And, uh, but I'm not necessarily tied to one institution. Um, so for me right now, um, this is a new project that I'm really excited about co-hosting this academic life series with you. And um, so that um, is part of it. I also, I do teach adjunct as well. Um, and um, so I do that, uh, I do that for a higher ed program, a master's program. And um, I also well, I do travel and speak on my research, so we'll kind of get to how we met. Um, but I do research on um, gender and sexuality and religion, uh, mainly around evangelical college campuses. Um, and I have a book out on that. And so while I'm really not doing a lot of that right now with the pandemic, traveling and speaking, um, I do really enjoy doing that when I get the opportunity to do that. Um, and then I also do contract work for different institutions, um, 
which is sort of kind of my other hat in higher education. So I also do assessment um, and assessment planning. And that's kind of for some folks who might need that um, a little bit explained. It's assessment is, um, you know, we, we measure kind of how students learn and what they're learning um, and making sure that what we say students are learning, they are learning. And so assessment is a big part of, um, you know, higher ed right now and um, will continue to be. So I do, um, I do some writing and I do presenting around assessment and assessment planning and how you can structure that um, in a program or a unit um, department, that sort of thing. Um, so that's kind of my other hat. It's not quite as sexy as, um, you know, studying uh, sex and gender and relationships uh, among college students, but um, that's also what I do. And, um, you know, and I, for part of my story, I do like to tell people that, um, you know, in a very real and kind of authentic way, one of the reasons that I'm structuring my career that way right now is because I'm also the primary caregiver to my um, two young kids. And um, so that's, another um, hat that I'm juggling in the world. Um, and that is, as as many people are, looks very differently right now during the pandemic. So um, so some of my other projects, my writing, I also still write. Um, and one of my writing projects is kind of on hold right now um, for that reason. Um, so yeah, so that's a bit about about me. I guess uh, maybe I'll share my, my PhD is in higher ed studies. Um, and I did um, kind of a gender certificate in gender studies. So, but technically, um, I have a, a PhD in, in higher ed studies and, um, and I was, a um, a student affairs administrator for a long time before I kind of started focusing more on, uh, my grad work and things like that. So I have a, a, a big heart for college students and helping them sort of navigate, um, the academic life, which kind of brings us a little bit to, um, what we kind of want to talk about next um, is, which is how the channel came to be. Um, and so, you know, I met uh, Christina here on uh, New Books Network when she interviewed me for my my new book, From Single to Serious, a few months ago. And um, so, after the recording, as it's uploading and doing all the things it needs to do, uh, we just started chatting and we uh, really connected and and found out that. Um, we actually have a lot in common. Um, and, and it was a really just lovely, um, opportunity to connect with someone. I don't know if, if any of our listeners have ever had that moment where you're just like, wow, I think I may have found one of my, I call them my people, one of my people, somebody who I just really share a lot of, um, ideas with and sensibilities with, and we seem to connect and, and, and get each other and get the world, um, and how we approach the world. And so, we connected over several different different areas, and I don't know if Christina, maybe you want to shed some light on on some of those those areas of commonality that we connected on. Sure. Um, when I do the podcast uh, on the Gender Channel, there's always a few moments at the end where I'm waiting for the hard drive to capture everything so it's not lost, and and I get to chat with my guests, and um, it's always one of the most fun parts of the podcast, honestly, because we're relaxed and we're done and we're not worried about how we sound anymore. And people get to share about themselves. But Dana and I really connected because we we found that we had a lot in common. And I think we're truly a pandemic story. We have never been in the same room together. We live on opposite parts of the country. Um, and we met, you know, through this podcast, um, totally online. And um, we 
have had since had a bunch of phone calls and Zoom. And, and so it's truly a modern uh, friendship building <laughs> system that I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to right now. They have friends who they have not yet had a chance to be in the same physical space with. Um, but yeah, we both um, started talking about our college experience. And it was that we had both like totally moved to like a random sounding to the rest of the people who knew us part of the country for college. So for me, I moved from um, California to Florida. Um, and I went to a, a small college called Eckert, which is in St. Pete. And I had a writing scholarship and I had a job on campus teaching writing. And uh, people pick their colleges for a lot of reasons. And I had really good academic reasons. And I still um, am pleased with the quality of the academic instruction and the professor-student interactions. But for me, one of the selling points was they had a pet policy so my roommate was a puppy I got named Riley, and he was the greatest dog. Um, so you also moved across country uh, for college, but I don't believe pets were high on your priority of why you moved. No, 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 it wasn't. <laughs> but um, so yeah, so I, I I grew up in the Northeast. Um, I'm a North Jersey girl. Um, my parents still live in the house I grew up in in North Jersey, and my family's all there. Um, and so that was kind of my world. And then I ended up on a lark kind of random moved to the Southeast and went to a small faith-based college that nobody really heard of. And I hadn't really um, heard of too much either, but for lots of reasons, and I won't go all into them, it just seemed to be the right decision at the time. And nobody could understand it. Nobody, nobody that around me really understood why I did it. And, and I don't know if at the time I fully did, but it was just something I felt I needed to do. And I, and I did, and I kind of moved far and, um, from everything and everyone I knew. And, um, I really didn't have a lot of connections there and I just kind of did it. And, 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 um, I ended up, uh, connecting with some people and made some great friends and some mentors, honestly. Um, uh, one of my mentors from college, um, is the reason I got into student affairs work and we still are connected today. And, um, so I made a lot of great connections, even though culturally it was a really big shock for me in a lot of ways. And um, I I struggled with that a bit. Um, but it was also when I look back on that, it was such a wonderful learning experience for me to experience um, people um, and places that were just so very different from what I knew growing up, because um, my world really was kind of the New York, New Jersey area. And that's where my family was from. And, and we didn't really travel a lot outside that. Um, up to that point. So, um, you know, hearing people talk about just different ways of being in the world, different ways that they reflected their faith um, and all those things was really um, instructive for me at, at, at a, you know, kind of tender age. And, um, and I did, I made, I made just some really great connections. And um, so, and I talk about this when uh, we did our other podcast, but, and I won't go all into that, but, you know, looking back now, retrospectively, I really feel that it was just kind of, you know, all orchestrated the way it needed to be. And, and out of that experience of feeling kind of out of sorts culturally in a lot of ways, I ended up finding um, an area to research that was just really intriguing to me. And that was kind of the beginning of, of the book that I ended up doing um, on, you know, gender and dating um, within a highly intense evangelical campus environment. So, um, so yeah, so that's a little bit about about my journey with undergrad. Um, did you want to Did you want to talk about anything else? Um, oh yeah, I guess we did 
connect over some other areas too about um, going on to graduate school and the work that we did in, in graduate school and some of the um, kind of outside our studies kind of work that we did. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I was listening to your story about immersing yourself in a new culture. And I, I totally felt that way at college too. We had traveled as a family when I was a kid. We had traveled, I thought, too much. Um, my dad loved to go on these driving trips and by driving trips, I mean, we may drive 3000 miles. He just, wow. he just mm-hmm. drove us all over the place. We drove, um, by the time I was in kindergarten, as far as I know, we had driven from coast to coast. We had driven across Canada and we had driven through parts of Mexico. And that wow. was before I started kindergarten. And wow. I remember having this, uh, hope that since I was in kindergarten, that meant we were going to stay home all the time, like normal people. But, um, <laughs> My dad just had this wanderlust. So I had seen technically a lot of the country, but I hadn't ever lived anywhere else because my parents bought their house before I was born and they never moved to this day. They still have that. My mom still has it. My dad has passed. Um, And so I had always lived in exactly the same neighborhood, even though I had seen a lot of different um, parts of the country. And we had briefly, oh, it's a terrible story. My dad pulled us out of school for like five weeks when I was in third grade and drove us all over England, Scotland, and Wales, which to listeners probably wow. sounds like a great story. <laughs> but the teacher made me do all the work she thought would be covered for that five weeks before we left. So mm-hmm. I was in third grade and I was going to school all day and coming home and doing this extremely heavy homework load. And then we took this trip and when we got back, the class hadn't done like half of what the teacher had made me do in advance. So I had to do it again. <laughs> so I still remember it in my third grade brain of unfairness. Um, so um, yeah, I think that trip in England was really the first time I'd ever been immersed somewhere. And I think a lot of that actually resonated much more positively with me than I realized because in grad school, I, my research was all in New England. And when we were driving through England, Scotland, and Wales, we stayed on a lot of farms. A lot of the bed and breakfast type places were these farms. And when I got to grad school, I was really drawn to, to studying New England farms and um, how they had been founded, what, what the life there was like, and then doing just so many research trips to go spend as much time as I could on them. So I guess I have a love-hate relationship with that third grade trip, and um, it, it um, planted some important seeds in me, even though uh, at the time, it, the timing of it seemed very strange that my dad took us out of school uh, to do it. Um, but yeah, and so, but for both college and grad school, I picked my school sight unseen, which is a, apparently a very strange way to do it. Um, I had never been to Eckert before I applied and accepted the offer of admission. And the same for my grad school. I had actually, even though my parents had driven us all over the place, they hadn't taken us to Washington, D.C. And my grad school was in Washington, D.C., even though my research was ultimately always in New England. And, um, and so when I arrived for grad school, that was my first time in D.C., so I don't think we have that bizarreness in common. No, no. <laughs> No, we don't. But I do think, well, I was thinking as we were talking about kind of immersing ourselves in new cultures and new places to live and things like that. I know that we did connect over. Um, I did, I 
I appreciated when you interviewed me for the book um, and we were talking. So I don't know if this, I actually don't know if this made it. I don't think this is in our, our taped interview. I think this was after when we were talking and you really got the kind of ethnographic of my work and what I do. And, and, um, and so we kind of connected over this, um, you know, this interest in space. We're kind of like on the periphery with um, anthropology. Um, So I'm not an anthropologist, but I did, I think I shared with you that my methodologist in graduate school had a dual degree in higher ed and anthropology. And so she very much was an anthropologist and she was my methodologist. And so I took a whole seminar just on ethnography and read a ton of ethnographies and, um, you know, that really influenced the project that I did. And, um, and so I was really impressed that you picked up on that. <laughs> um, we were talking about that after the interview and I really walked away feeling like, wow, she like got, she, like, she gets it. Like she really gets what I did. Um, uh, cause qualitative work, um, you know, sometimes depending on people's, um, you know, researchers, you know, they're what they're trained in. They don't always fully, you know, pick up on the nuances, I guess. And I really felt that you, I felt seen as a researcher that you really got that. And it was that connection over the, the, the um, you know, the undertones of anthropology and ethnographic. Um, I always describe it as that I did ethnographic, me- I used ethnographic methods, but I did not do a true ethnography. Um, and so I was really excited that you, that you, Notice that, and you mentioned that, um, and that we kind of had that connection of over over anthropology and culture and ethnography and um, and those those topics. Um, I love anthropology. I studied it. My beginning of grad school is actually at Sarah Lawrence uh, in New York, and I loved it there. I had a great experience. But my advisor um, towards the spring of my first year said, I think you should just transfer right into a PhD program. I think you're, you're ready. Um, but I had spent um, my year there um, in a divided study. Half of what I did was history and half of what I did was anthropology. And so when I got to my PhD program, we had something called an outside field that you had to pass a certificate in. And I did anthropology. And it it was a lovely companion to studying New England farms because I really needed to understand a unique regional culture. Um, and those tools of anthropology really helped tremendously in ways that a traditional his- history approach weren't working for me. So mm-hmm. I love studies like yours where you blend in methodologies. You have different lenses to analyze data because I think they, uh, especially when we're doing gender-related studies, I think we mm-hmm. need to use all of the great tools for really digging into what we're seeing and, and uh, avoiding any assumptions that we just have to start from the ground up with every tool that really serves what we're doing. And I think anthropology is a great, great toolbox. Mm. Yeah. And I, and I'll say this last word on anthropology. We're kind of like, um, you know, loving on anthropology here, but um, I just think I, I find that some of my I, I, so I use this term, like my people, like people in my core group, um, like of colleague friends, um, they're colleagues for sure, but they're friends, um, as well. And, and we, um, when I think about, you know, who's in that group for me, we kind of all connect over, over anthropology and just, you know, the, the, the interest and the respect for culture and how that informs what we do and our sensibilities and the way we come to our work and the way we understand our work and the way we frame our work. And, um, 
And I, and I love that. And that, and that spans, you know, not just my scholarly work, but that's a lot of like administrator work that I did. Um, and that I still do. Um, one of my dear friends is that he's, you know, uh, he's a assistant provost or associate provost or, and of assessment, but he really brings, we connect over, which is really interesting because people usually think of assessment as being very quantitative, but he brings, we share our, we actually met in our, in our methods class, our qualitative methods class, and he did study anthropology as well. And so I think when you have that blend and that respect for, and that appreciation for, um, you know, kind of anthropological ideas and, um, sensibilities and you bring that to all different places in your work. Um, it, it's really neat. So a lot of my, my, my kindred friendships professionally and, and otherwise we, sh- we share that. Um, and now I'm adding you to that list, Christina. So that's, I'm really excited about that. Um, so, um, I'm going to transition us a little bit to talking about, um, kind of our common interest in, in, in helping others navigate the Academy. And this is really, um, this is a big piece of the why behind this channel. And we wanted to be sure to kind of talk to listeners about not only how it came to be and how we connected, but why, why are we doing this? Why are we spending our time and energy um, um, on this project that we both feel really uh, deeply about? And, and so one of the areas we connected with um, each other over was this, that we both had in different ways, um, in different capacities, we really were, have been interested in and have worked to help um, others navigate the academy. Um, and so I'll talk just a minute about, you know, my experience with that. And then I'll let you share um, some of what you, I think, shared with me um, after we after we interviewed and then and anything else maybe you want to talk about. But so when I, um, well, and I mentioned earlier, so I, even way back in my early career, I did student affairs work. Um, so I did residence life. I lived in the residence hall longer as, um, as a staff person than I ever did as a student. I actually lived in the residence halls one year as a student and I lived eight years, um, as a staff person. And so I did that, um, through my master's program. And then I did that afterwards. And, um, and I, I really love that. I I look back on that time and it's such a, a beautiful time of community with my students and with people that I worked with. Some of them are still some of my dearest friends and, um, you just really, you're in the mix. You're in the real mix with students and, and, you know, they're knocking on your door at night and you're hearing kind of their woes over whatever relationships or the roommate or the class that's not going so well. And, um, and I love that. So that's, I have many years of, of doing that kind of work. Um, and then during graduate school, and even beyond, um, I worked in academic support units, um, and I, I taught out of that unit. And even the courses, the kinds of courses I taught in higher ed were very kind of um, intervention-based, kind of help students figure out why they're here and what they're doing and and what is the purpose of, you know, a higher, higher education and a degree and what's the purpose of their journey, their, their individual college journey. And um and I, and I was also an academic coach. So I would work with undergrads and graduate students, um, on any number of things related to, you know, their academics. Sometimes it's, it was kind of study skills type things. Sometimes it was just self-regulatory behaviors. Um, I also coached many graduate students through, um, you know, upper level exams, you know, master level exams and things like that. And even some of my colleagues in my doc program, um, you know, I sat down very informally with them and showed them some of the ways that I made sense of, of things and how I organized things, um, to prepare for exams and to prepare for, um, you know, different big papers and things like that. So I just really, um, 
again, in, in, in formal ways, I had jobs that I needed to do that. And then in informal ways, just working um, with, with peers and students to, to help them figure out um, different areas and aspects of this thing called the academic life um, and at different points in the journey. And so um, that's a little bit about my background and, and my interest in that. Um, and I will say this last thing um, is that I think that for me, what I'm so excited about with this channel and and this series and and just this opportunity um, is is because I, I really Christine and I talked about both talked about this of just this idea of kind of pulling back the veil um, to some things that we just don't really talk about a lot um, and and allowing um, you know listeners to hear perspectives that they may not be privy to um, just in their own walk and in their own journey you know they may not know. Um, someone who is an editor of a journal, or they may not know someone who, um, you know, writes trade books or things like that to be able to have kind of individual conversations. And so um, I really think there's kind of a justice piece to this of, of, of opening up the conversation and allowing people to have access to information and knowledge and people and perspectives that they wouldn't otherwise have. Um, and I think there's also something about, you know, um, especially in a field like ours, the, the life of the mind and the academy and um, where, you know, there's a bit of a, and maybe more than a bit, um, as I've talked to people along the way of, you know, kind of the imposter syndrome of, of you know, there can be some stigma attached to seeking assistance or asking for a perspective or, um, you know, dare we even say help, you know, in a way, but, but those perspectives are, are helpful and valuable. And um, so, you know, I think that that's something, again, that isn't talked about a lot or people don't admit a lot, but um, I think is out there. And sometimes when you have those really personal conversations with people you really trust, then it's then it comes out. And so I know it's out there um, and I know that 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 people feel that. And so for us to be able to kind of help uh, break through some of that and and open up some dialogue and open up some conversation um I'm pretty excited about that. If that helps people navigate where they are and where they want to go um, along the way with, um, in regard to, to the academic life. Yeah. I think that's really the heart of the channel is we want to demystify as much as we can. We want to open the silences. We want to name iniquities, even if we can't offer solutions we can get conversations going and bring in experts to speak to as many topics as we have the time and space to host here um, to really make a community space here where the questions get asked and the experts um, offer answers. And, um, and I think one of the things for me that's exciting about this channel is um, a lot of times we don't know what we don't know. We didn't mm -hmm. know a program existed. We didn't know it was a question we could ask. We didn't know that um, opportunity was even out there. And so pulling together these resources and opening up the idea box, more than just the toolbox, but the idea box, uh, so people are inspired to start asking questions, to see help that was available around them that maybe you just couldn't see before because you didn't know what you to look for. That for me is really exciting and it's really empowering. Um, and ultimately it's what's sustaining wherever you go on your academic journey to know that it's not meant to be a solitary road. It's meant to be a community 
road. Um, and my own work in mentoring goes way back. In high school, I was part of two different mentoring programs. Uh, one was a safe rides program. You could call, no questions asked, uh, and get a safe ride home. Uh, whether you were drinking or you were stranded by your date or you suddenly found yourself in an unsafe situation, it didn't matter. You didn't have to explain. Um, and we would come and pick you up and take you home. And another was a peer counseling program that I was trained in. Um, it was really a pilot program. So it was exciting that we didn't have a lot of time to get it off the ground before I graduated high school. But at college, I as I mentioned before, I, I taught writing on campus to other students, um, which was really in a mentoring capacity. It was one-on-one -on -one sessions. Um, and I also worked with international students, um, which was really rewarding. And then I also worked with international students um, when I was doing my master's work. And I also worked in museum ed. I worked three jobs that year. I remember being very tired. Um, <laughs> three jobs and a full-time student. But it was really rewarding because they were all ways of exploring how you bring people into the community, how you um, move things from the margins to the center, how you open silences. And Museum Ed is really about that. How do you communicate the information in a way that's received well? And doing that with kids really was eye-opening because they'll just tell you what's boring or what they don't understand. And that's a great way to... Um, uh, hone your game. Uh, so I appreciated that experience too. And then at grad school, uh, my uh, PhD program, I ran a mentor program right there in the department, putting on symposiums and matching students with students who are a bit more advanced who could mentor them. And I was also a sort of a point person. Um, and I did everything from put on potlucks to um, sort of have office hours during you know midterms so students could come in and talk about their concerns or their fears or all of it. And, you know, that spirit really continued into my adjunct work. And it may be um, a function of teaching in the, in the gender studies spot that you are an inclusive person and you are, at least for a student, you're the person they might risk telling something to. They maybe feel it'd be better odds that it'll be received by you than perhaps by um, another professor. And so I found that my office hours were really largely about um, student needs rather than uh, course-related questions. And I was glad to be in that space. Um, it's an honor when people come to you and they um, share those moments with you that are going on in their life. It's always an honor to be brought into that space. And it's an honor to do that work here on this channel as well. Um, when we were talking about the channel, we each were thinking about uh, pivotal mentoring experiences that we had had. Um, Dana, do you want to share one of yours? Sure, sure. Um, so as far as, um, yeah, I, I, and I think I may have, you know, talked a bit about this when I was um, talking with you about the book, but I, I had a great mentor experience in um, graduate school with my doc work. Um, I actually met with um, the professor who ended up being my chair, who was my mentor before I applied to the program. And I, you know, talked to her and shared to meet her and shared with her my ideas for my project. I kind of knew 
going in the themes that I wanted to explore. Um, and she was really excited about it. And, um, and that really helped me make the decision that that was the right school for me. So I studied at university of Kentucky and, um, you know, there was a lot of other programs in the country that I, I, you know, could have gone to, but, you know, I really felt like I had, um, a, a lot of things going for me there and, and her support being one, because I really felt like it was a, a special thing that I had a vision for a project and things that I wanted to explore. And, and I found someone who was, uh, really excited about that and and seemed like they were going to be a great partner in the process for me rather than what a lot of times happens and it's not a bad thing it's it's a great thing when you align with someone's research and you want to you know go and study with them because it aligns with yours um I didn't have that experience I didn't as I researched I didn't find a lot of people um you know in especially because I was doing an um, doing it in education that really had those specific, you know, checked all kind of those boxes and she did. Um, and so it just, and it worked. And, um, so that was a big part of my, re- my decision to go to university of Kentucky. And, um, and she did become my advisor and she really closely mentored me through, you know, the whole doc, um, program and the process and the writing and, and the project. And, you know, we conceived of it, I remember her asking me, so my book is based on my dissertation research. And I remember her at one point when I was planning the project and, and writing and all that. And she said, do you want to do the extra work and write it like a book? And I was like, well, sure. You know, um, it was still kind of a pipe dream that, that would actually come to fruition to be a book. Um, but I thought, well, you know, better try now. Um, and I'm, you know, I have a pretty good work ethic. So yeah. So we, I was like, sure. And she was willing to, to do that with me. And so we, you know, she worked with me on, on, you know, planning it and, and writing it and structuring it, um, so that it wasn't just, um, you know, a kind of a traditional dissertation. It, it was more than that. And she pushed me, she pushed me a lot, um, in my thinking and my integrating and, um, in the intersectionality piece, because she was, um, she was at that time, she has since switched, but she was like 51% time in the, um, ed policy, which is where the, the program I was in and then 49% like in gender studies. So, um, but she really brought that, she really pushed me on the gender studies side to really, you know, um, think in those ways, um, and to bring a lot of those pieces into the project. Um, and so it had a lot of more almost to me of, of that than some of the higher ed stuff. Um, and so, I mean, it had both, but she really pushed me in that way. And so she was just a great mentor. I mean, she would, I remember, um, so I had moved by the time I was writing my dissertation, I had moved back, um, close to where I grew up, um, in the Northeast. And, um, so I was kind of doing it remotely. And at that point I had already had my son. And, um, so when I submitted my first draft of my dissertation, I remember, um, and at this point we'd been working together for years. So she called me before she sent me her notes. Cause she was like, Dan, I don't want you to stress about this. <laughs> like, Cause she knew how I was. And she was like, I'm going to send you my notes, but it's, it's good. It's okay. And she had literally four pages of single spaced notes for me. And she would like, tell me like page 35, second paragraph line. But I mean, she like wordsmithed my stuff, like 
I think we need to change this concept. I think we need to rethink this word, you know, this framing, this whatever. Like it was really detailed read of my work. And that's she was like in the weeds with me. And um, and speaking with my my colleagues and my friends, like I knew not everybody got that experience. And so I really felt fortunate that I had that support and I had that mentorship. Um, and she really did help me expand my thinking and my writing and um, her favorite or my favorite phrase that she always used with me. And I still hear her in my voice saying, Danny, I got to jazz it up. You got to jazz it up. You know, like it's, you know, you really got to, you know, just, it would, that was her way of saying, this is too plain. This is too boring. You really need to bring it in terms of your creativity and your writing. And, and so she pushed me and, and, and I just think that was such a, a great um, opportunity that I had. That was like, she was a great mentor and I still, we still talk and we're still connected. And I feel so fortunate to have had that experience um, because I do know, unfortunately, not everybody gets that. And I knew friends who, you know, didn't get that and they were struggling in, in different ways, but I really felt supported by her even after I moved. Um, and I was ABD and I'd had a baby and all the things that someone else could just write you off that you're never going to finish. Um, but I did. And I, of course I was going to finish. And I think we both knew that. Um, so, um, I felt really fortunate of that. And the last thing I'll say on that is that she, you know, she also made connections for me. She made introductions for me, um, my outside committee member. Um, she made sure she invited someone that she knew was really well connected with publishing and who could offer that, you know, um, editorial, you know, book publishing, academic publishing um, perspective for me um, on the committee. And so she just really, she really supported me and really um, was just a, was just a gift um, in terms of a mentor for me. Yeah, that really is a gift. I think for me, one of the experiences of being mentored that really stands out, and I certainly have many, so I'm not throwing shade on anybody that I'm not mentioning right now. It's, it's difficult to choose just one, but I think one that for me was critically important was um, when I was in the final dissertation writing stages, so I was ABD, but I was also at the final uh, rewriting stages, I moved to an island. And um, I really, I think, thought I had um, closed as many of the gaps as I could. I um, would request dozens and dozens of books from an interlibrary loan program, and they would get sent over on the ferry. And I was airmailing, literally, I would take to the airplane at the little airport uh, there on the island, my hard copies, and they would go back to the to the school for my advisors to look over drafts. Um, and I thought, you know, I had pretty much figured out how I was going to do this process remotely on this island. And one of the big gaps that was really clear to me was sounding boards. Sitting with a group of like-minded grad students in the same place in their work and troubleshooting and supporting each other through this final rewrite process. So I was very fortunate that this great group of about four or five of us um, decided we would meet every other month and and in between we would email on each other on the off months and we really set up time protection parameters how much we could e- email each other what sort of content what the goals were of the meetings especially since I was flying in for them um, and we really got it done and I think for me that was invaluable to have that uh, community time that support um, and to know that even though I was living on an island and yes, books were arriving and yes, drafts could get flown back to 
my department, that tangible community time and space was really crucial for me. Um, in the few minutes we have left, um, Dana, do you want to um, share some nuggets about what you hope this channel will be or what your visions are? Um, sure. I I think, you know, mentor, like we've, we've kind of thinking about this in some ways as kind of you know, thinking about our mentor experiences and and the things that mentor moments and things that have been kind of considered gifts to us, and then also that where the gaps exist. Um, and so, you know, just briefly, I'll I'll share. So while I had such a, I, I think for me it's it's a juxtapose. So I kind of went from having this wonderful mentoring experience, and then for me, um, after I graduated, um, and I was like newly minted PhD. Um, I kind of felt like a bit of a gap. Like I no longer had someone who, and not that she stopped being my mentor because she didn't, but she wasn't, I I felt a little bit bad reaching out because she wasn't technically my advisor anymore. I was done. I was graduated, right? Like I was now quote unquote expert in this area. And, um, and I felt that gap. I felt that like, whoa, like now I have the letters, but I still feel like there's so much I don't know. <laughs> I still feel like there's so much I don't know how to do. And I felt that gap after I graduated and I was, was looking to turn um, my dissertation into a book. And that just felt like, I don't really know how to do this. And I did have some help navigating that a bit, but the writing was hard um, on my own and I didn't have that community anymore. And and I felt bad imposing on people's time when technically they weren't, you know, it wasn't their job anymore to do that for me. And so as I reflected on, on the gaps, the gifts of mentoring and the gaps that I've had, um, you know, I think that's, that's one area, you know, that stands out. And, and so I think about that in relation to this channel. So I hope that from my hope, as we've talked about this, Christina, you know, that we really want to fill those gaps for folks. Um, because, um, again, like I said earlier, you know, you may have even had wonderful mentor experiences and I've had many as well. That's a more recent one that stands out for me, um, and, and relevant to, you know, the channel and, and the series and what we're talking about. So I shared that one, but I've had many, um, in my, in my time and in, and in my adult life and, and earlier life as well. Um, but you know, even when you have those wonderful folks, not everybody can be everything, right? So even though I had a wonderful mentor, she knew that there was someone else who would be probably a better, um, assistance to me and guide and giving me better guidance in terms of academic publishing. And so, you know, not everybody has all of those pieces. And so we really hope to bring listeners, um, a really well-rounded conversation. So wherever those gaps may be for you, um, you can turn to the channel and, and hear some conversations that maybe you're not privy to, um, with the connections and the resources that you have, um, at your disposal at this moment, or maybe you want to listen ahead to, you know, somebody who's two or three steps down the road of where you're hoping to go and you want to hear their perspective. Um, you know, whatever that is, I feel like, you know, really just trying to, to offer up a variety of conversations and perspectives so that wherever you find yourself um, and at whatever point, you know, there's something that's of value uh, for our listeners. So that's really what I, what I hope we're bringing. Um, and I really like your point, Christina, and I'll, I'll echo that of the community. Um, 
I do best my best work in community. I'm a verbal processor. I love collaborating. That's why I love being able to to do this with you. And you asked me at one point, you know, which direction I'd want to go. And I and I just knew we had a great connection and I respected you and your work and your process. And I thought this is going to be so much better in community um, if we do this together. And so I'm really excited to do this together um, and, and to offer that community piece even in our conversations. Yeah, I would 100% echo what you said uh, so beautifully, Dana. Um, and also letting listeners know if you have those gaps, there are inequities in how things are distributed uh, in academia and once you leave. And one of my great goals of this channel is to use this space to fill that. Mm. I can't change where all the inequities are, but I can bring the information to a wider audience. We can amplify the mentoring um, while we wait for academia itself to figure out how they're going to address more of the inequities, um, which are keenly felt if you're on the side of that. If you are the one who's not getting the mentoring, if you are the one who's not getting the financial resources, it's keenly felt. And um, I have also been in that spot. I, it's hard when you summarize um, in 45 minutes uh, your mentoring experiences and your experiences of being mentored um, to also make an honest space for when you've keenly felt um, those inequities. And I, and I know that there are others who've felt them even more strongly than I have. So we, we do have a Twitter set up as well, a Twitter account for this um, channel, and you can direct messenger, messenger us, all listeners, if there are subjects or experts you want to see on the channel, we will do our best to bring as much content that's as, as responsive to ongoing need as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, Dana, do you want to have the last word here? Um, sure. Yeah. So just to reiterate, please do be in communication with us, be in conversation with us. Um, we want this to be um, a service and a value to you all as listeners, um, whether that's for you personally or for your students. Um, we really see that this this series, this channel can be used in a variety of ways, and we hope that it will be, especially as um, all of us in higher ed and in the world in general are figuring out non-traditional ways of doing just about everything. Um, and so you know, we hope you will consider this space for some of those um, instructive moments in your own personal and professional lives and and the lives of your students. Um, so we thank you so much for listening and, and um, tuning in. Um, this is the Academic Life Series. I'm Dr. Dana Malone, and um, you've been speaking with Dr. Christina Gessler, and we thank you.